I'd like to welcome you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. I'm thankful for those of you that have taken time out of your lives today to come and uh, be a part of our services today. And we also have a special occasion taken up after our services when we'll be celebrating the 90th birthday of Ada Scott. And what a wonderful blessing she has been to us, and I can see that she's been a great blessing unto you. Well, today, uh, as we come, we're going to be celebrating a Memorial Day. And is there any current or former members of the service here? Would you please stand up? And where's Robert Jove? I know he's supposed to be. Okay, he's hiding in the back. That <laughs> well, we thank you and praise you guys for the service that you've given for our country and for our freedom. And what a blessing it is to have people like that that are willing to go out and to serve. I had a my father and uh, two brothers that had served in the military. And I started to bring the, uh, the flags, a couple of them with me this morning, but fortunately there was one of them still here because that flag, that are gift at a funeral service of a military person is so special. And I will always cherish the flags that I have. And uh, I hope if you have any of those that they'll always have a special place in your heart for what they represent. I'm going to begin the, this morning by the reading out of the book of Alma in chapter 21. I'm going to read verses 37 through 47. Thus we see how quick the children of men do forget the Lord their God. Yea, how quick to do iniquity and to be led away by the evil one. Yea, and we also see the great wickedness one very wicked man can cause to take place among the children of men. Yea, we see that Amalekiah, because he was a man of cunning devices and a man of many flattering words, that he led away the hearts of many people to do wickedly. Yea, and to seek and to destroy the church of God, and to destroy the foundation of liberty which God had granted unto them, or which blessings God had sent upon the face of the land for the righteous sake. And now it came to pass that when Moroni, who was the chief commander of the armies of the Nephites, had heard of the dissensions, he was angry with Amalekai. And it came to pass that he rent his coat, and he took a piece thereof and wrote upon it in memory of our God, our religion, and freedom, and our peace, our wives, and our children, and he fastened it upon the end of a pole thereof. And this is what he had written upon there. And he fastened on his breastplate, headplate and his breastplate, and his shields, and he girded up his army about his loins, and he took the pole which had on the end of thereof, as he rent his coat, and he called it the title of liberty. And he bowed himself to the earth, and he prayed mightily unto his God for the blessings of liberty to rest upon his brethren, so long as they should be a band of Christians to remain to possess the land. For thus we were all true believers of Christ, who belonged to the church of God, called by those who did not belong to the church, and those who did belong to the church were faithful. Yea, all those who were true believers in Christ took upon them gladly the name of Christ, were Christians as they were called, because of their belief in Christ who should come. And therefore at this time Moroni prayed that the cause of the Christians and the freedom of this land might be favored, and it came to pass that when he poured out his soul to God, he gave all the land which was south of the land of desolation, yea, and in fine all the land both on the north and the south, a chosen land, a land and the land of liberty, 
And he said, Surely God shall not suffer that we who are despised because we take upon us the name of Christ shall be trodden down and destroyed until we bring it upon us by our own transgressions. Let's open our hymnals to number 555 and we'll stand and then I'll bring the opening prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, in the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we gather in this sanctuary this morning, inviting the presence of thy Holy Spirit to abide with us. And Father, I pray that everything that is said and done this day will bring honor and glory unto you and show our appreciation for this land that thou hast given us. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. sure most of you at some time or another in your life have been to a memorial service for a serviceman. And uh, I'm going to read off, because I was so intrigued about the 13 foes in the American flag when they do this at a military funeral. And it said, do you know that at a military funeral, the 21-gun salute stands for the sum of the numbers in the year 1776. Have you ever noticed that the honor guards pay meticulous attention to correctly folding the American flag 13 times? You probably thought it was a symbolized the original 13 colonies, but we learn something new every day. The first fold of our flag is a symbol of life. The second fold is a symbol of our belief in eternal life. The third fold is made in honor and remembrance of the veterans departing our ranks who gave a portion of their lives for the defense of our country to attain peace throughout the world. The fourth fold represents our weaker nature for as American citizens trusting in God, it is to him we turn in times of peace as well in times of war for our divine guidance. The fifth fold is a tribute to our country. For in the words of Stephen DeCare, our country is dealing with other countries. May she always be right, but it's still our country, right or wrong. The eighth fold is for our heart's life. It is with our hearts that we pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America 
and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And I think what a shame it is that this is no longer done in schools. When they stopped doing this and they took the prayer out of school, our nation began to decline. The eightfold is a tribute to the one who entered the lay, into the valley of the shadow of death that we might see the light of day. The ninthfold is a tribute to womanhood and mothers, for it has been through their faith, their love, loyalty, and devotion that the character of men and women who have made this country great as it has been molded. The tenthfold is a tribute to the Father, for he too has given his sons and daughters for the defense of our country since they were first born. The eleventh bowl represents the lower portion of the seal of the King David and King Solomon and glories in the Hebrew eyes the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The twelfth fold represents the emblem of eternity and glories in the Christian eyes, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the thirteenth fold, or when the flag is completely folded, the stars are uppermost reminding us of the nation's motto, In God We Trust. After the flag is completely folded and tucked, it takes the appearance of a cocked hat, ever reminding us of the soldiers who served under General George Washington and the sailors and the Marines who served under Captain John Paul Jones, who were followed by their comrades and shipmates into the armed forces of the United States, preserving for us the rights, the privileges, and the freedoms that we enjoy today. There are some traditions and ways of doing things that have been deep meaning. In the future, I hope you see our flag folded, that you'll know why. And this is how the flag looks once it's folded. And then I want to read just a little story on taps. We in the United States have all heard haunting song, Taps. It's the song that gives us a, a lump in our throats and usually tears in our eyes. But did you know the story behind the song? If not, I think you will be interested to find out about the humble beginnings. Reportedly, it all began in 1862 during the Civil War when Union Army Captain Robert Eli Combie was the, with his men near Harrison's Landing in Virginia. The Confederate Army was on the other side of the narrow strip of land. And during the night, Captain Eli Combie heard the moans of a soldier who lay severely wounded on the field. And not knowing if it was a Union or Confederate soldier, the captain decided to risk his life and bring the stricken man back for medical attention. And crawling on his stomach through the gunfire, the captain reached the stricken soldier and began pulling him toward the encampment. And when the, camp, the captain finally reached his own lines, he discovered it was actually a Confederate soldier. But the soldier was dead, and the captain lit a lantern, and suddenly, caught his breath, and went numb with shock. In the dim light, he saw the face of the soldier. It was his own son. The boy had been studying music in the South when the war broke out, and without telling his father, the boy enlisted in the Confederate Army. The following morning, heartbroken, the father asked permission of his superiors to give his son a full military burial, despite his enemy status. His request was partially granted. The captain asked if he could have a group of Army band members play a funeral for his son at the funeral. The request was turned down since the soldier was a Confederate. But out of respect for the father, they did say that he could give him only one musician. The captain chose a bugler. 
he asked the bugler to play a series of musical notes that he had found on a piece of paper in the pocket of the dead youth's uniform. This wish was granted. The haunting melody we now know as taps used at military funerals was born. And the words are, Day is done. Gone the sun. From the lakes, from the hills, from the sky. All is well. Safely rest. God is nigh. Fading lights. Dim the sight and a star. Gems the sky gleaming bright from afar. Drawing nigh falls the night. Thanks and praise for our days. Neat the sun, neat the stars, neat the sky as we go. This we know, God is not. I never even knew there was words to that. But what a blessing it is that we have an opportunity to learn some of these things. And what a blessing it is that we have an opportunity on Memorial Day to remember those that have served our country and gave their lives in our behalf. Good morning and welcome into the house of the Lord. I almost need a minute to get collected after Steve's words. His message is, is such a close parallel to the message that I had prepared for this morning. And uh, I think the primary message I want to give and everything else will be a subtext to that. And it's this. God loves you. More than you can comprehend. I once thought there's probably a God, and Jesus is probably his son. And when I thought about Jesus dying on the cross, I thought he did that in a general sense, but it didn't really apply to me because I didn't have that kind of value to him. And so I lived my life accordingly until finally he impressed upon me with such power that he did love me. I could no longer stand in denial and say I was not included in that gift he gave on the cross of his life. For our salvation. <clears throat> when I think about who God is, the fact that right now he's creating the world, while right now he's creating Adam and Eve, while right now Mary is giving birth to him, while right now he's on the cross for each one of us. While right now he's at the presence of your birth and my birth. And he's at the present moment of each soldier who died in battle. I can't get my head wrapped around that. I cannot comprehend the immensity of God. And I cannot uh, uh, comprehend the immensity of his love. But I know this. He loves us more than we can comprehend We're celebrating Memorial Day this weekend, and Steve has given a, a beautiful prelude to us understanding what that really means. But it means we're, we're, we're in remembrance of and in reverence for and honoring those who have given their lives for our freedom. The same request to honor them is made every time the flag is raised or the national anthem is sung. And if we pause for a moment to consider their sacrifice, it has sobering impact. The average age of a draftee in the military is 19. That's how old I was when I got my letter. Greetings <laughs> from Uncle Sam. In basic training, I met a fellow uh, inductee who was just 17. And when we were given our military assignments, Vietnam was still pretty hot at that time. He was given the assignment 
of a door gunner on a, on a Huey helicopter to going into combat with a 75% mortality rate on that position. And I found him just moments after we all received our, our uh, occupation assignments, alone in the stairwell, crying, because he knew, chances are, he wasn't coming home. And at that time, I, was not, I wasn't really a Christian. I mean, I was raised in the church, but I left when I was a teenager. And I didn't have understanding of any words of comfort to give to him. And I stood there and looked at him. And I cried for a second with him silently. And then I left because I just didn't have in myself anything to offer. And I'll tell you the truth. I hate war. I hate all evil. I know God does too. And I think about you know, how are we called to respond against evil? What do we think of war? And I can tell you this. I'm convinced that God hates evil. He loves every one of us. He loves all of those who don't know him and perpetrate evil beyond our understanding of how they can do it. He still loves them. I know this too. He hates sin. He hates evil. He hates tyranny. He hates those who would overthrow our freedoms. And peace at all costs has too high a cost. But I want, to, I want to unpack that kind of carefully because it's a complicated topic. When I was young, and when I got my draft notice, I thought, if I go to Vietnam, I'm probably just going to get shot because I don't intend on shooting anybody else. I'll just die. I won't shoot back. And that was where I was mentally and emotionally at that time. And that was not even as a Christian. That was just who I was because of the Christian upbringing I had. But when I went through basic training and I realized that if I go into combat, it's not just me that I'm you know, in a battle for. It's my brothers next to me. It's my family at home. If a war is lost, my refusal to participate in protecting our nation and our people could well result in harm coming home to them. And I changed my mind. And I thought, if it's required of me, I can fight. And all through history, tyrants have made it necessary for a nation to have a standing military to protect them in that way. And all through history that's recorded, I can only think of one time where an invading army wasn't met, met with a military response to repel them. And that recording is in the Book of Mormon. In Alma chapter 14, verses, the, you know, the very center of it, it's a pretty big story with more verse, but in verses 51 through 53, we, we find that story, and I'm just going to paraphrase and summarize. When the invading Lamanite army fell upon the inhabitants of the land, they discovered there was no act of defense, just unarmed soldiers kneeling in prayer. The resident army had sworn to God. They would no more wage war and, make, and take lives in combat, so they had buried their weapons deep in the ground and submitted themselves to prayer for the souls of their attackers until the invaders stopped in their tracks and stopped the slaughter of the men kneeling in prayer. As a result, the attacking Lamanites asked why they were not fighting back. The answer pierced their consciences, and they were converted to Christ because the answer is we are saved into the kingdom of our God. He is your God as well. You just haven't met him yet. But if you take our lives, we go to heaven. If I take your life, you're not in his kingdom yet. You have not accepted him as your God, and you'll go to hell. We will gladly go to heaven to spare you going to hell. When they heard that message, they had to stop and think. And the summary of that is, more souls were gained for the kingdom of God that day than the number of saved souls who died in that attack. And the question I would ask is, can you imagine the faith 
that act requires. It's hard to imagine this being repeated in our current day, but I, I was thinking, you know, could I do that? Could I just see an invading army in the United States on our soil and just drop to my knees and pray and let them kill me so that they might receive that same message? I don't know. John 15, 13 says, Greater love hath no man than that he lay down his life for his friends. And in this passage, when the Lamanites invaded, the inhabitants of the land considered them worthy of being called friends. Matthew 6.46 and Luke 6.27 says, If you've heard it said, love your friends and hate your enemies, I say to you, love your enemies. And this is the perfect Christian ideal. I think only if I were convinced of this being a commandment by God in that moment or an instruction by the Holy Spirit at that very moment in time, possibly I could comply with that. And so countless young men have gone to war and made the ultimate sacrifice, and today we remember them and their grieving families and loved ones. And we honor them with our appreciation, our reverent thoughts, and our prayers. I would also say this. I would like to do more than that. The last number I have heard is 22. 22 veterans of the war in the desert who have now come home take their lives on an average day. And I, I, you know, I, as a veteran and having lived during the era of the Vietnam War and, and seen what I've seen and heard what I've heard, I thought I probably understood why that is. But rather than just make an assumption without research, I've got a stack of books here, which I'm going to offer to anybody who's interested in taking one and reading it. And I'll describe them at the end of the message today. But I read these books to be sure that I was correct in my assumption about why this number 22 exists. Why are there why are there 22 men a day suffering such pain that they're willing to end it at any cost? I think I can summarize it pretty quickly, and it's simply that they have seen horrors of evil in its most cruel forms, and it has stolen too much from them. They often feel betrayed, both by their government and by life. And at this point, by saying that, I want to make a very strong distinction, and it took me a while to figure this out, because I thought, God's in charge of everything. And he pretty much dictates our life. He's in charge of everything. What happens to us is either by his design or at least with his permission. There's a difference between God's perfect will and his permissive will. He permits us all even those of us who choose an evil course in life, he permits us all to have choice, pursue action, choose behavior. And those consequences don't only befall the person making the choice, oftentimes they befall other people who are innocent. But those things that fall within his permissive will, he has redeemed on the cross. And if we reside in intimate relationship with him, those things are covered and everything that happens can be turned to good if we love and serve God. The worst of situations. And I came to this conclusion a long time ago. There's only one person on this planet who can hurt me. That's me. My choices define who I am. Who I am at my last breath on this earth is who I have chosen to be 
And that's who I take forward. And I enter into whatever circumstance that dictates, whether I am saved and in his kingdom or whether I'm not. And I can tell you, because I have come to a deep realization that he loves me, and I have responded by saying, if he loves me like that, how can I not love him back? How can I not love and serve him when he has given his very life for me and he, he plans for the best life I can have if I will just join him in that plan? All I've got to do is love him and, and seek to understand what it is that he asks of me and how to live. And that's the best life I can have. There's nothing better. And to think that I can do a better job of planning my next tomorrow without him is utter foolishness. I used to think that. I found out how wrong I was. <laughs> well, let me tell you. Let me offer an, an answer of how we can help those who are a part of that number 22. This planet is both a classroom in which we are taught how to live, and it's a battleground between heaven and hell. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world. So in a sense, we are all engaged in war. The same as those who have fallen and gone before us, whom we remember today. We are soldiers in battle. It's a spiritual battle. And the way we win this battle is to align with our Lord of War as closely as possible and obey him. And what that means, we must learn to do as he does. We must seek to love as Christ loves. We must influence all possibly that we can so they see in us the love of Christ so they can come to commit to that same love. And the invitation that comes with that description of the soldiers who were willing to lay down their lives and not fight back and take the lives of those who were unbelievers. The invitation is to make that kind of a commitment to live for God the way they did. To be willing to lay down a sin that declares that you have no real respect for God where you yield to the temptations of sin and live in a way that there's no godly light within you, where your message is, it's just not that important. You live a life that says you not only believe in Christ, but you believe in his power and in his spirit to indwell you, to work in you and through you. Commit to love and serve others rather than criticize and correct. Pray for them and leave the job of correction to the Holy Spirit. Have the compassion of Christ for all people. And secondly, second part of that answer, how do we really try to impact that number 22? I feel such heavy concern for those veterans. And I understand the temptation to try to medicate your pain in all kinds of sinful ways through misconduct, through abuse of alcohol or drugs. And that abuse of alcohol and drugs is simply throwing down a welcome mat to enemy spirits, forces of darkness. Prayerfully seek if there is any difference you can make for them and maybe by financial contribution to services that are you know, offering help to veterans. Or one thing we can all do, and I'm sure that probably everybody in this room has seen powerful answer to prayer. The only reason I'm standing here <laughs> is because my mother and the church that my father pastored at the time prayed me through. If not for that, I would not be here. I promise you. And we can fulfill that same calling to pray for them. 
God's in the business of helping people in need. We are in the business of being the bridge of prayer to accomplish meeting those needs of those people who are in desperate places and times. I want to share a quick piece of my history that as I was thinking about this sermon and how to say something that would have something that's mentally graspable, you know, that you can take with you and you can understand, and this came to me in just a powerful recall of something that was one of the moments of my life that even now when I look back, it causes me to tremble. And the message is, stay away from the edge. I don't know if any of you have a favorite place on the planet that you've seen that is just stunningly beautiful and nothing has ever compared to it. For me, that's Yosemite National Park. I can look at that and say, man, God is such an artist. He has made this world for us to enjoy. He's created us to have joy. And when you see Yosemite National Park, you think, this is the epitome of understanding what that truly is. And so, you know, you get the flyers when you enter the park. And I, you know, talked with a park ranger trying to figure out, you know, what's the best way to enjoy the park safely. And there's a, uh, there's a hike to the top of Yosemite Falls. That's 2,500 feet of a waterfall from the top of a granite face of a cliff to the valley floor. And they have a meeting spot before you hike up to the top of it where you meet with a park ranger, and the park ranger explains to you the risks. And I hope they've changed that presentation because he was doing it wrong. <laughs> he said, stay away from the edge. So two of us began the hike. We got to the top, and on the way up, there was an argument. And so I got up there, and I went one way, and she went the other. And pretty soon, just within minutes, I heard her calling my name. And so I'm thinking, well, you know, she sounds scared. And she was. But so I retraced my steps, and there's these vertical boulders that are big, and they block part of your view of the valley. And so I'd gone around one side, and she'd gone around the other. I came back around to see where she was, and there's this granite surface that just went out towards the valley, and it had a gentle slope. And so, you know, you see it. You can't see much of the valley because you're standing back far enough, and the gentle slope goes out far enough. You really can't see as much of the valley as you want to. So you start towards that gentle slope thinking, well, I'll stay away from the edge, but I want to go see. And that gentle slope just keeps getting steeper. And you're kind of looking for the edge that you've heard there's an edge to stay away from. Well, here's the scary part. There's not an edge. It's a gentle slope that becomes a vertical slope. She was out there past the point of being comfortable to the point where terror had set in and she realized she was about to go over. She was going to be one of those statistics of people who every year do that thinking there's a safe edge to stop it. We made it back safely. I went out there. I have a fear of heights. Don't think I was comfortable at all. I went and got her and brought her back. And I thought, if she goes over and I don't do something, my life will never be recoverable. I will never be the same. So I went and got her and brought her back. And the fear that we both experienced, it's a rare thing. <laughs> Not a beautiful thing. It's a rare thing. That illustrates perfectly what we think of sin having this edge of a line. I won't cross this line. Now, I can play here safely. I can participate in whatever this thing Satan is doing because it's not a big deal. There's, a, there's an edge here. There's a line I will not cross. Folks, there's not. Once you enter that slope, you'll never find that edge. It will just take you. 
and you won't know it until it's too late. So stay away from the edge. Ask the Holy Spirit for guidance on how you, you can live in a more intimate relationship with God, with the Holy Spirit indwelling you to, to provide service to your fellow man and, and to God and to have the best life you can have with the most joy because that can only be accomplished with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So what we want to do, first, make a commitment, the same as those men who knelt in prayer for their enemy, willing to lay down their lives. Recognize that relationship with the Holy Spirit and obedience to God under his protection is where we find our greatest joy. And in doing that, part of that package of making that choice to live that way is you're not even looking for an edge. You're looking for the center of his kingdom in the brightest light where you can live your best life. These books that I mentioned, I want to just briefly describe them to you, and they're free to anybody who wants one. These are stories that are written by veterans who have come back from the Desert War. And I'll describe them real quickly. This first one, I put them in order of the sequence of the publishing date, so that's the only thing I use to put them in a sequence to, to introduce them. The first one is a story called The Lions of Kandahar. It's written by uh, Major Rusty Bradley, an Army Special Forces commander. It's the story of a fight against all odds the NATO coalition launched Operation Medusa. And at the, at, to date, that was the largest offensive in the war. And it describes some of the things that result in the number 22. Another one is Into the Fire, a first-hand account of the most extraordinary battle in the Ga Afghan war. And the author is... Medal of Honor recipient, Dakota Meyer. He raced into a lost cause battle to rescue his team. There was somebody who outranked him who had not been in the battle yet and wanted to have that badge on his uniform when he left. So because he outranked him, he took Dakota Meyer's place and they wound up in a trap. They were horrendously outnumbered, and they couldn't get approval for air support cover because of the rules of engagement. And they were sitting back in a safe place watching a horror show. And against orders, he got a driver and manned a vehicle with a machine gun on top of it and went in to rescue his team. And he kept going in and going in and going and bringing people out and bringing people out. And it went on for hours. And he, the only way he could do it was he said, I'm dead already. I cannot live through this. I will be killed, but I'm getting my team out. And that's his story. He survived it. This book is titled, No Hero, The Evolution of a Navy Seal. This is an action-packed account of this seal's defining missions that taught him who he and his other team six members were and are. Echo and Ramadi is a first-hand story of U.S. Marines in Iraq's deadliest city. It's an exhilarating chronicle of war and the unbreakable bonds forged among the Marines who fought and died there. This is one called The Fighters, and it's just an account of several different men with several different military occupations and their encounters in the war. It's really enlightening. It's a good read. And so I'm 
I'm offering those to anybody who's interested and any of them you're welcome to them. And so as we remember the purpose of this day, we have set aside to remember valiant men and women who made the ultimate sacrifice for us. Let us emulate them and make a commitment at that same level to lay down our life as Christ has asked us. If you've not been baptized, baptism is exactly that. It's laying down a fruitless life to live your best life in the fullness of life as God offers us his light, joy, and peace. One last thing I'd like to do. I can see you all, but I can't see you all that well. <laughs> so there's somebody I'm looking for. Is Sister Powers here? There you go. She usually sits over here. I wanted to take a minute and acknowledge her. She knows the depth of the message today. She's here worshiping God because of her faith. I have a friend who says, Life is hills and valleys, man. It's hills and valleys. She's been in the darkest one. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we are so honored and privileged and thankful to be sitting here in your sanctuary, in your presence, by your invitation. Father, I, I thank you that you've given your Holy Spirit to us to guide us safely home to you. And we just pray, Father, that your Spirit will indwell us, call us out of those things, and empower us to stand in your light, walk in your light, and serve you in your light, with your light. And in so doing, discover our best life. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, bud, for that message today. I just don't know about the rest of you, but I'm truly blessed for being here. And we're going to uh, close our service with the singing of hymn 549, and afterwards, Roger will bring a closing prayer and a blessing on the food, and to remind everybody that to say and celebrate Ada's 90th birthday. Hymn 549.